just very briefly uh, to introduce um, our speaker, but also introduce the week to you. We are calling this week Calling Beyond Covenant Week. And it's really a week where we want to focus on the chapel talks that are taking place and other events that Stephanie talked about to really focus on this idea of how the work that we do connects with the work in the, our work in the world. And so we're going to have a number of speakers who will talk about a range of different things. On Friday this week, we have a retired circuit judge, Ralph Hill, will come and talk about his work um, as a judge and how that connects with his faith. Uh, this Wednesday, in just a couple of days, we're going to have um, Caitlin Newsom from Chattanooga Sports Ministry. She's a fairly recent alum from Covenant College, and we'll talk about CSM and the work that CSM is doing in the city. Um, but then today, as uh, already was tipped, we're having Marshall Teague come and speak about his work at Eden Thistle. Marshall is a 2008 grad from Covenant College. He was a community development um, major. He and his wife founded Eden Thistle Land Stewardship Company in, two, in 2013, which is a company committed to regenerative farming and food production. Before attending Covenant, Marshall worked in New Zealand on sheep stations. I don't know what a sheep station is, but I think he'll talk about it. So maybe like space stations or something. And then after graduating, he worked in Oregon for a nonprofit that worked with kids and horses. He and his wife, Catherine, now live and work on Lookout Mountain, and they have three children. Please welcome Marshall Teague. Sheep stations are exactly what they sound like. Me and Darth Vader did a lot of work together in New Zealand. I got to set a timer here. So last night, uh, my, one of my daughters, I was putting my, my kids to bed, and uh, last night, my oldest daughter said she didn't know what to pray for. So I said, well, I'm, I'm talking at Covenant College tomorrow in chapel. And she goes, I'll pray for that. <laughs> Thanks. So this is her prayer. Dear God, let my dad speak well at Covenant College tomorrow. And do not let them throw rocks at him or paper, or say bad words to him. She's got a pretty low view of you guys or me. I don't know which one. So I went to bed thinking about that, trying to figure out where my daughter got this, and I think I got it figured out. I think that she thinks you guys are swarthy, potty mouth sailors, and you're most likely going to stone me because that's biblical, and this is a biblical college. But since you're, you know, in academics, you'll probably substitute paper and roll up paper and throw that at me instead of stones. So we'll see how that goes. She's in kindergarten right now, probably still praying for me. <clears throat> All right, so calling beyond covenant. To be called beyond covenant, you have to go there. This is me, my freshman year, the genius that I am. My idiot best friend and roommate knocked my tooth out of my head. So this is my, this is my, my yearbook picture. <laughs> you too can be called beyond covenant. Because if this guy did, anybody can. That's all. Thank you. Let's pray. And y'all can be dismissed. All right. So calling beyond covenant. I'm going to start with a story. When my wife and I were living in Oregon, we were, uh, we were at a dinner party. And this guy, one of my very good friends... Um, leans over in the middle of this awesome dinner party, and he says, uh, hey man, I think you should care about where your food comes from. 
I was like, man, come on. <laughs> like, I mean, we're in Oregon, right? Are, we, are any students from Oregon out there or Washington? Oh, I'm gonna, okay, one or two. That, that's not enough. Man, Oregonians, it's like all grainy out there. It's pretty crunchy. It's granola. And I was like, man, this is so hipster. This is a fad. Care about your food. No way. I don't care. I'm not into this. And that was the end of the conversation. I shut it down. And so I go, I try to give him like the cold shoulder and talk to somebody else. And before I can, he taps me on the shoulder and says, hey, man, you're a Christian, right? I was like, yeah. He's like, well, you more than anybody else should care about this. I was like, no, bro, listen, I got bigger sins in my life that hurt more people, and there are bigger things in the kingdom of heaven that I should care about that I'm not, I'm not, uh, food is not one of them. And I, and I just, I, I conversationally slayed him. I put him in his place. That was the end of that. And uh, my answer came out of my theological construct of how the kingdom of God works. I'm going to show you something that is, um, this next slide's going to blow your mind. It's pretty high intelligence, okay? And I, I probably learned some of this at Covenant. It's pretty impressive. I understood the kingdom of God like an office building, right? <laughs> so if the kingdom of God is an office building, I don't work in an office. This is my assumption from the show, from NBC, The Office. I think if you're important, you get to go higher up in the building and you get a window seat. So the more important you are in a, in a company, the higher up in the building you need to go. So in my understanding of the kingdom of God, things like evangelism, missions, you know, justice, things like discipleship and compassion, like all of these things are really what the kingdom is about. And they go upstairs. <laughs> and so, sure. You want to put creation stewardship in, in the building? Yeah, it can come. Subterranean, man. It's going down in the basement with the boiler from Home Alone and the HVAC unit. And like Ranger Rick and his sweet fly fishing vest are down there. But really, the kingdom of God is about the stuff upstairs. And that's, that's legitimately... That, that's my answer to my buddy Eric came from that understanding. And so I left that conversation. I felt really good. I felt like I really put him in his place. I really felt good about my answer, but I was bugged. And I couldn't figure out why. So I, I essentially asked three questions. And not because I wanted to be transformed or learn the truth, but I knew that Eric would bring it back up again. And when he did, I wanted to be ready. I, wanted to, I, I, I just wanted to be right. So I asked three questions. What does God actually say about this? if anything. And if he does say something, does it really apply? Because it's 2000, well, now it's 2018. Does it really apply in 2018? And if somehow it does still apply, what does that actually mean for us? What does that actually mean for me? All right, so my wife and I started looking into this, and we are, right now, we are going to be like a stone, right? Like for the next three minutes, we're going to be like a stone, and we're going to skip through the, you know, the scripture. This is by no means an exhaustive study. We're just going to, like, ludicrous speed. Here we go. Ready? So in Genesis, what does God actually say about this? In Genesis, what's, what's God do? He makes the whole earth, and what does he do? He says, over all creation, I like this. That's a paraphrase. That might not be exactly, exactly what he said. He expresses the goodness of creation and his pleasure in it, and he does it when man is not even on the scene. Okay, what else do we learn in Genesis other than the goodness of creation and God's pleasure in it? We see the first great commission. And so God takes man, and God orients man's relationship to God, and he orients man's relationship to creation. He says, you 
man are to be tending to it and protecting it. We also find out that there is a hierarchy to creation. So man is given the image of God, and the rest of creation is not. And finally, we see that there is a cosmic nature of sin. Okay, so fast forward, now we're going to go to the Noahic covenant. What do we see when Noah walks out of the boat? God puts the rainbow in the, si in the sky. We get a little bit cocky with the rainbow, by the way. And when, I, when I see a rainbow, I tell my daughters, <laughs> who I'm sure you guys are concerned about after hearing her prayer, uh, I say, hey, you know, that, that, that rainbow is a sign of a promise that God made to us that he'll never flood the earth again like he did. And that's true, but it's not true in totality. The rainbow is a sign that God made a covenant to us and to every living creature and the earth that he would never do that again. So in, in, uh, in the Noahic covenant, we see God putting himself in covenant relationship with all things, with all creations. All right, so fast forward again. Now let's look at the law. So here we have God giving a constitution, as it were, to the Israel, uh, for the nation of Israel. And so in that constitution, God is saying things like Leviticus 25. You must give rest to the land and to the animals. Deuteronomy 20, God dictates ecological restraint and the art of war, right? So the rest of the nations, if you invaded another nation and you laid siege to a city, you would destroy, you would decimate the earth around it. Cut it all, all the trees down, everything. And here God is saying, you don't get to do that. You must exercise ecological restraint. In Deuteronomy 25, we see God dictating economic restraint. Yes, I understand as a farmer you want to make a profit, but you must exercise economic restraint for the sake of the animal. So if you have a, an ox and it's treading out the grain, you don't get to muzzle it. The ox gets to eat some of the grain. Fast forward, let's look into the poetry section of the Bible. You have verses like Psalm 19, the heavens declare, the God's glory, declare God's glory, uh, the trees are singing to God. And I used to read that as poetic hyperbole, but I, I'm not so sure I should dismiss it like that anymore. In Proverbs, you have God saying, the righteous man is the man who takes care of his beasts. Righteousness is being equated with a man who cares for his animals. Fast forward again, in the major prophets, here you have Isaiah, and he's hinting at this full restoration of all things to come. And how does he do it? He gives you an ecological metaphor for it. The lion is going to lay down with the lamb. So you have this hint that perhaps God will be writing more than just the human condition. Fast forward into Habakkuk. So God and Habakkuk are having a conversation, and God is telling Habakkuk that he is going to visit his wrath upon the Neo-Chaldeans because of their violence against man and their violence against the earth. Go now into the New Testament. We have Paul talking in Romans 8. All creation is waiting with longing for the revelation of the sons of man. We have creation waiting for healing. We have in Ephesians, we have God saying, listen to the language here. I'm uniting all things to me. In Colossians, all things are created by God. All things are sustained by God. And all things are redeemed by God. And then we end in Revelation, and John's vision is the new heavens and the new earth coming down to us. I used to, you know, think of, um, <laughs> I used to think of 
my kids, you know, here we go. They're going to be pretty screwed up theologically if I don't get things correct. I used to think of heaven and earth kind of like a big syringe, you know, like God would put a big syringe into the earth and like suck out all the Christians and then inject them into heaven. This is not the vision that John has given, so it may not be correct. Rather, John has given a vision of the new heavens and the new earth coming down to us, and again, it's given to us in the illustration of the lion laying down with the lamb, the snake, and the child playing in the same place. So my first question that I was asking was, does God actually talk about this? Yes, God does talk about it. But does it apply? Or is this agricultural illustration for the sake of spiritual enlightenment? There were three things. We, we're not going to look at each one of those individually, although you should. It's, we just don't have the time to do that. There were three things that stood out to my wife and I when we were in Oregon, kind of moving through and processing through all of this. And the first is the fact that God, not only does he talk about this, but he talks about it from Genesis all the way to Revelation. That seems important. There's a consistency that God is speaking into this. The second thing is, in Genesis, you're introduced to a couple of themes. And those themes are supported throughout the Bible all the way to the gospel. Look, for example, in Genesis, God makes all of creation, and what does he say? Before man's on the spot, Man, he, God says about creation, it is good. You see God expressing the goodness of creation and his pleasure in it. Now, all through scripture, you see that supported, and he doesn't deviate from that. Give the land Sabbath. You must exercise economic restraint for the sake of the animal. The righteous man is the one who takes care of his, of his animals. I'm going to visit wrath upon the Neo-Caldeans because of their violence against man and the earth. And so you see these Genesis themes carried throughout Scripture all the way to the Gospel. I'm going to unite all things back to me. I'm going to redeem all things. The other theme that is introduced in Genesis is this orientation of man's relationship to creation. You are to tend to and protect it. And you see that, that theme that is started in Genesis, you see that supported all the way through the Scripture into the Gospel. And so the fact that you see you see it so carried through, I, I think I realize it might be dangerous to dismiss this. But perhaps the most compelling argument is, for me, as, as uh, my wife, um, she's, who's over in this corner, um, the, the most compelling argument for us was that the renewal of all things is tied to the gospel. And it's, it's a dangerous thing for us to dismiss something that is tied to the gospel. So it seems like it is very likely that it still applies to us. So that takes me to the third question as I was processing through, and let's just look at this from 10,000 feet. What does this mean? If God talks about it, and it does still apply, what does it actually mean for us? Well, look at my conversation with Eric, my buddy, right? So I give him, uh, I mean, I dress it up so I look like an adult and not a child, but essentially I gave him this illustration and said, it's not part of it, right? At worst, that conversation, at the worst, is me augmenting the gospel or me selecting what belongs in the gospel, what God's renewing, what I should care about, and what I shouldn't. At best, and this is probably more accurate of, of what I was thinking in that conversation, and, and at that point in my life, at best, 
that sh- I, I think my heart would have said, okay, yeah, the stewardship of creation, it's in the kingdom of God. See, I put it in the basement. So it's in there. It's just not that important. You know, we have, we're finite creatures. We have limited time, limited resources. We got to pick and choose what really is important. And that's not one of them. And even then, at best, that is me minimizing the efficacy, the power, the beauty, the majesty, the art of the gospel. And either way, I think I was missing it in ways. And I certainly wasn't reflecting this majestic gospel that I think is preached in the Bible. All right, so how does that apply to my calling? You know, the theme of, your, of the week is calling beyond covenant. As Catherine and I were thinking through this, uh, the conversation began with eating, right? It was my buddy leaning over and saying, hey, I think you should care about what you eat. So we started looking into that issue by looking into the, the how, how do we orient ourselves around the actual stewardship of creation. And what we found is that eating is one of the most consistent ways that Catherine and I and most people in 2018 engage in the stewardship of creation. Think about it. Every culture throughout civilization eats. If you don't eat, you cease to be a culture. Therefore, every civilization is engaged on some level in the process of producing food. And the process of producing food is tied very closely to how we steward the land and how we steward the earth. It's not the only way, but it's a huge monumental way that every civilization, everyone, engages. And it's perhaps the most that Catherine and I, I guess we were looking across kind of our life, we were thinking eating is the number one way that we engage in the stewardship, whether for good or bad, of the earth. What's that mean? So let me give you two, we started investigating how our culture produces food. Let me give you two examples, uh, points of relativity. So regarding the, the, the production of pigs in America, we've distilled it into an exact science. We put 20, 230 pound animals per 7.5 square foot pen. They're housed on metal graded flooring in climate controlled conditions and they're never actually exposed to the light of day. These animals are sustained in such crowded and filthy conditions that movement is difficult, natural behaviors are impossible, and antibiotics are essential to control infection. Sows, those are mamas, typically a 500-pound animal, are separately housed. They live out their lives in 7-foot by 22-inch metal gestation crates from which they're never released, even in the process of giving birth. They're artificially inseminated to deliver an average of 8 litters, litters inflated way beyond their natural carrying capacity by fertility drugs, and a staple of their diet is the rendered remains of their deceased penmates. Regarding butchering in America, in 1990, the typical American slaughterhouse killed 50 cows an hour, but newer plants run at 300 to 400 an hour. How do we go about slaughtering 400, 800 pound cows in an hour? One of the workers says, the line is never stopped simply because an animal is alive. Another worker said that as cows are passing at 309 an hour, um, they're supposed to be dead when they reach him, but often they're not. They blink, they make noises, the head moves, the eyes are open, they're still looking around. They die piece by piece. No wonder, Paul is saying in Romans, that creation has been waiting with a longing for the revelation of the sons of man. Now, a quick side note before we go on. In the emerging conversation, like if you go on Netflix, there's lots of documentaries about this uh, on both sides. In the emerging conversation about food and farming, it is 
stupid easy to simplify the problem and vilify all sorts of people. And that is not what I'm saying. The farming, the, the stewardship of land, the, the food conversation is an incredibly complex one with a long history. And it is not healthy or helpful or probably right to jump in, simplify it, and vilify farmers or industry workers or companies or anything like that. It is so complex. Please don't hear me saying that. All right, now, carry on. So how, as Catherine and I were learning about the common standard practice of how our, our, our culture makes food, which is, again, the way that we were, one of the most consistent ways we engage in the stewardship of the earth, um, as, we, as we processed and found more and more just uh, hard aspects of that industry. And then as we looked at, through Scripture, that, that God actually talks about this, and I think this still applies. And as our growing conviction uh, evolved, uh, through those things, we founded and started Eden Thistle. So Eden Thistle is our company, it's our farm, and it's our growing list of partner farms who raise animals to a certain set of standards. And those standards are based in, in our um, conviction that God still cares about this and that the church should be present here. Again, it's a complex issue with no black and white, easy, easy answers. So Eden Thistle, I'm not going to talk about it much today just because that's a whole different conversation. Don't get me wrong, I love talking about it. Um, you can learn more about Eden Thistle. If you, you just go online, you can find our website. It's EdenThistle.com. <laughs> I'm a real product of my generation. The way we communicate most is through Instagram. So in your next class, you can jump on and while you know, the professor's talking, you can follow us. Uh, so Eden Thistle is a different, different conversation, but very quickly, uh, so all of our partners, so this is, um, this is from our farm. Uh, all of our pigs, all the pork we sell are raised outside. Um, they're raised on, on either pasture or in the forest. Um, these are uh, all of our hens, our broilers, the chickens that we sell, and the eggs that we sell are raised, and our partners sell are raised on pasture. Um, the same thing with our beef. We don't feed a lot of our beef. Uh, none of our animals are given drugs or anything like that. This, this herd is actually, that's lookout, so this herd's five miles from here. Um, and and Eden Thistle, it's a, it's a very unique thing. I love it. But again, the, the, bigger, the bigger thing that I'd rather talk about uh, is how does this concept of a great gospel apply to you, right? So when you leave covenant, like when you're called beyond covenant, even if you're missing a tooth and you look like an idiot like I did, God can still call you, and he probably will. So what does this mean for you? All right, let me end with three quotes. You probably hear this in every week. There's not a square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. That's Kuiper. For Christianity is a fighting religion. It thinks God made the world. That space and time, heat and cold, and all the colors and tastes and animals and vegetables are things made up out of his head as a man makes up a story. But it also thinks that a great many things have gone wrong with the world that God made and that God insists and insists very loudly on putting them right again. That's Lewis this is Paul. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. 
that God is reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. So Kuiper, Lewis, saints that have gone before us, you know, what Paul is saying is if this is the horizon of creation, right, all things, I think most of us would agree that the horizon of sin wrecked all of creation. So if this is the horizon of creation, then the horizon of sin would be this great. When we minimize the gospel, we present, we are ambassadors of a gospel that is smaller than the horizon of creation, that is smaller than the horizon of sin. And that's what I was doing. There is a tension. If you don't feel it now, you will. Paul was saying, you are ambassadors of a cosmic God's great majestic gospel. But the reality is, we are finite creatures. We will always feel a tension from our human condition, our finite nature, as we try to reflect God's cosmic, huge, wonderful gospel. So my question is, do you minimize the gospel out of a reaction from that tension, which is what I typically do? I minimize the gospel. Or do we submit ourselves before that cosmic gospel and be transformed by it? And it's a, that is a tough thing. And as you leave covenant, as you're here at covenant, being an ambassador of a cosmic gospel and being a finite creature is tough because you will always feel that tension. Do you minimize it or does it transform you? I minimize it for a long time and I think it's now starting to transform me. My other more specific question is, does God talk? Don't just take, don't like listen to me and, lock, and like leave thinking, oh yeah, he said God talks about the stewardship of the earth, so yeah, we should do it. Think about it. Does God talk about it? Does it really apply? And if it does, how do you in 2018, a member of, an ambassador of the gospel, how do you participate, whether for good or ill, in the stewardship of the earth? Let me pray and then... Um, Somebody will know what to do. <laughs> Jesus, thank you so much. Uh, thank you so much for your, your gospel and the cosmic nature of it. Thank you so much that you bring us in as ambassadors of it. Um, and that you do call uh, even um, the smallest of us out to be reflectors of your gospel. Praise be to you. Amen.